Welcome friends, welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. I am your host, Oxford, and we are with our core four, uh, something we haven't done in a while, uh, the original yeah. members. Uh, we have Jess. Hey. Jong. Hey. And all the way from China, Teen. Hey, I'm finally back. Back from China. Yeah, got... God damn it! I, we thought China would finish you off, but I, I guess I guess you're back. No, nope, no, nope. I I was I found my my way around. I got back. I, I was yeah. pretty convinced you had only bought a one way ticket, and you were like waiting for the midterms, <laughs> the midterm elections, <laughs> yeah. kind of like waiting yeah. to see how that shook out before you made the t- decision to come back. Yeah, yeah. No, I've I've got a pretty uh, good visa going, so you could you know. Hey, were people in China? Like fixated on the election because I heard people in Europe were just completely glued to the whole thing. Not really, no. <laughs> I mean, it was on the news for sure. Um, and you know, Jeff Sessions getting fired and stuff was a big was a top. Th- those are top news stories. But they, they they're really concerned about the trade war. Yeah, but team, we missed you. Uh, ah, great to have you. Missed back. you all too. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a, it was weird. You know, when he was gone, like uh, like our our like Discord was quieter and <laughs> yeah. Our Twitter feed was emptier. Total Jijek mentions went down. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we're, we'll, it's all back to normal now. Anyway, before we start our podcast, I have a little story I want to share with you. And I, this is actually more than just a uh, story. This is a public service announcement. Um, mm. Because I almost got scammed this weekend. And, and there's this thing, uh, I'll put it out there. It's called the baby formula scam. Uh, so I will tell you what it entails. So... Um, on the weekend, uh, in the morning, I was going to CVS to buy some AA batteries and a lint roller, like, you know, any upstanding citizen. And then I was, I was listening to something on my earphones, and I, I feel this tap on my shoulder. And I turn around, and it's like this, you know, young woman, and she's telling me about how she doesn't want any money from me, uh, she just needs help feeding her baby. And, you know, at this point, I'm already talking to her, and I'm thinking, okay... Uh, and then she starts saying that she just needs some baby formula to feed, feed her child. Uh, well, you know, she doesn't have her child, uh, uh, with her. Um, and then, so I figure, okay, fine. It's, it's what, like baby food probably costs like five bucks. I'll just get in there and, and get it, whatever. Uh, you know, no big deal. Um, but then it, it starts taking a weird turn because like she starts following me into the CVS and then she brings over her friend over as well. And then, and then they're like following me uh, as I make my way to the CVS. And this is what I realized also when I look at them. They're like, wait a minute, they have, they have Starbucks cups in their hands. <laughs> they're kind of dressed like normal, like middle class type person you might see on, on the sidewalks of New York. Uh, so I'm, I'm just thinking, like, what the hell is going on here? And, um, you know, they're like talking to me and I'm, I'm just like trying to figure things out. Then it starts getting really fishy when they tell me that they want to buy like $80 worth of baby formula. And I'm thinking, whoa, I thought it was like like a small amount. I'm like, whoa, what the hell have I gotten myself into? Yeah. And then it turns out that that CVS doesn't have baby formula. So now they're saying, oh, let's go to the Dwayne Reed next door. And um, and they're like, oh, we'll, pro- we'll pay you back. We're not trying to look for handouts. And they're like, uh, we'll add you on Venmo. And then, they, and then one of them starts giving me all their information, like email, phone number. And then she starts giving me her social security number. And I'm thinking, whoa, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, why would anybody give their real social security number? Like, th- this is obviously fake or th- there's something really weird going on here. And um, at this point, I'm just thinking, oh, I don't want to be a jerk and just like walk away, but how do I get myself out of this? Uh, so then I figure, okay, they gave me all this info. And then I, so I, I take up my phone and say, okay, uh, can I just like add you on Venmo right now? I figure at least it, it's no guarantee just, just that you're on Venmo, but if you're real, you'll probably be on this thing. So then they say, 
oh, I actually don't have it. I'm going to go download it once I get home. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, that's it. Oh, and then I just said at this point, look, I got five bucks on cash. I'll give this to you. Then they get all <laughs> sour and they say, five bucks, you can't buy anything with that. And they just like walk away. And then um, I walk home. And then, I mean, I, when I got home, I look up on the internet, like baby formula scam. And it, this is actually something that happens all, like all over the world, but all, also in New York. Apparently, baby formula is very um, easily resellable on the market. So what they were probably trying to do was get that and they would like flip it or whatever. Like tied. And they, they would just, yeah, and they would just, they would just get cash. One interesting thing of note also is when they first, uh, when the young woman first tapped me, uh, she asked me if I could speak English. So my thinking was they probably saw me and they're like, oh, this guy might be like, like some like Asian tourist. Maybe he's an easy mark. Uh, uh, so maybe that's what they thought. Maybe. So, yeah. 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 Every time I hear a scam like that, you know, part of me is like, oh, that's messed up. But another part of me is like, wow, that's really clever. And they said they were from Jersey. They just look like two middle class white girls from Jersey. I, I, I don't know what the hell. The, the reason you got yourself for, so, so. In, 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 like in, entangled in this is because you didn't want to look like an asshole and not buy her baby formula. But the the, the, the key is you don't want to look like an asshole, right? But you know you're not being an asshole because it's all bullshit. So I think um, I have a universal excuse anytime I just keep it on my wrist like it's my watch. And anytime I need to use it in New York, I just throw it out there, which is I'm in a, I'm in a rush. I'm in a rush to get you out of everything. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really in a rush. And people just understand. So for all you listeners out there, baby formula scam, really old. So old that, you know, people nowadays probably aren't aware of it. But be on the lookout. Yeah. And if Teen tells you that he's in a rush, it's just that he doesn't want to do I'm, it for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Teen's a bum. He, he, has, he has nowhere to be, nothing to do. So now we know. <laughs> Escape from plan A. Just a few miles down the road from where that panel took place is the biggest Chinese diaspora in the country. So this is the other valley, the lesser known valley of the uh, LA valleys. You basically find pinnacle of Asian culture. This is like the new Chinatown. The first thing people on the outside will tell you is that the San Gabriel Valley is where you get good Chinese food. That superficial description always annoyed me, but the truth is, the first thing people on the inside will tell you is that the SGV is where you get good Chinese food. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Escape from Plan A. I'm Oxford here with Jess, Jong, and Teen, as I said. And on tonight's episode, we're going to talk... Uh, so, a bunch of us have been traveling uh, lately. Uh, Teen has been to China, Jong went to Korea, uh, I went to LA <laughs> uh, to see you, Jess. Um, uh, that was very nice. Um, so that got us thinking just about the, the role of like Asians and then moving and immigration and the various generations of Asians and just kind of everything that stems from that. So I think we can just begin by talking about uh, just what we experienced uh, in our travels. So who wants to start it off? Oh, oh! Before we start, I want to say, uh, please go rate us on iTunes. Uh, five stars if you like us. Leave a comment. Follow us on SoundCloud. Uh, do all that. Thank you. Yeah, that's, right, that's very, can... that is very <laughs> that, that does actually help us a lot if you do that. So thanks for everyone uh -huh. that did. All right, and now right. let's resume the pod. Uh, Jong, you you want to you want me to go yeah, first, and then sure. I'll I'll uh, just kind of since it's fresh in my mind, maybe it'll uh, trigger some memories in you as well. I don't know. Who knows? Um, yeah, so I went to, I just got back from China on Friday. I just went for vacation with uh, my girlfriend, who's 
one and a half generation, I think. She came with her parents when she was in uh, ninth grade or tenth grade or something like that. Ninth grade, I think. Uh, yeah, so she we went to uh, Guangzhou in the south uh, and then did a side trip over to Chengdu, which is uh, in like the Sichuan province and that. And, and that was it. And then went back to Guangzhou. So that was the, that was the trip. Um, yeah, so what, what are we we're talking about? Assessing different generational experiences, right? Right, Oxford. Yep. Um, yeah, I guess I there was a big, there was a big sort of that was a big component, I guess, of the trip was just because I think part of the trip was her uh, kind of assessing whether she could move back to China, and she still has like a lot of friends and uh, you know tons of family there and stuff, um, and so that was kind of like her experience was just like you know. Getting, getting back and just seeing all our friends again and all that stuff. Uh, and for me, I guess, as a sec- I was born here, so that makes me second generation. And I, this is only the second time I've been to China. Um, it, very different experience, right? It's like um, I didn't really, I couldn't even pay for simple things on the street because I don't have WeChat. If you don't have WeChat <laughs> in China, you got nothing. You're just, you got nothing, right? Um, and I just, I didn't really know how everything worked. Um, I did, you know, so I had to like basically just uh, be dependent on her to get around, know which buses to take and all that stuff. Uh, just to clarify, whenever you went back to Asia when you were younger, it was to Taiwan. To Taiwan. Right? Yeah. This is the, this is only, yeah. so I've been to Taipei a lot, um, but I've, <clears throat> I've not been to China many times. I don't really have any family there. Um, this was only the second time that I've been. Um, yeah. So it was, it was, um, it was weird just not being able to get around like, by myself and not have that autonomy, even as like a grown ass man. So it was mm. weird. It was, <laughs> it was just a weird feeling that I have not had in a while because China is truly a place that it's really hard to get around if you're not, you know, if you're not, um, if you if you don't ha- if you're not plugged into everything. Yeah, in 2010, uh, I went on my one and only trip to China, and it was during winter break. I was still in college. And my parents told me, hey, we're going to China, Shanghai in particular. I was so excited. Like, oh, I, you know, Shanghai is really cool. I want to see everything. But then they told me, oh, uh, it's, it's on a bus tour with like a, a, a bunch of other like middle-aged Koreans. <laughs> like, oh, man, like, no. But but it's like realistically, I don't we, we don't have any friends in China. We don't know anyone. I probably would be impossible to, to really get around. And I, generally, I had a good time. Everything was so rushed, though, because like every, they're like, OK, get off the bus. Uh, go look at like the Oriental Pearl Tower or whatever and you got 45 minutes get back in but i really enjoyed it and i really do want to go back to china mm-hmm. again soon yeah on your own terms it's it's really you know that's totally true because like if you say like i went to this city and someone else go, says i went to that same city like okay you went to the same city but you have totally different experiences um and going there this like the first time i went there was sort of like just me and a friend from you know in school like sort of backpack, not really backpacking, but just like, you know, dropping in, checking it out, leaving. Uh, this time was like a lot of time spent with like her family, a lot of time spent with like uh, her friends. Uh, to- you know, so a lot of it was taking place inside houses and, you know, her uncle's house, her aunt's house, all this stuff. Totally just a different side of the uh of the experience, uh, which is totally unlike taking a vacation there. So I barely felt like I went on vacation. I felt like, I don't know, something, something else entirely. Uh, and that I think is the more important aspect of trying to assess whether you can actually live in a place. 
you know, because that's kind of what your life is going to be like, you know. Um, and so, yeah, that was, I guess, uh, my takeaway is it's actually harder than I think it would be. I think it would be a lot more difficult than I imagined, but not impossible. But it depends on like what age and for what purpose. So, John, you, uh, uh, you want to talk about your trip to Korea? Yeah, yeah. Um, so my trip to Korea wasn't exploratory in any way. I was just going back to see family that I, mainly my dad and and uh, other close family members I haven't seen in, in a few years. Um, but the sort of that question has been on the back of my mind. Um, not maybe not necessarily permanently, but even just temporarily. I think it'd be great to live in Korea for a bit. Um, and so I spent maybe about three days in Seoul. Um, and kind of, it wasn't my first time exploring the city, but it, it was different, definitely different coming back, uh, after like six years and seeing how it changed. And, um, I'm like, like you teen, I'm not totally positive that the transition would be super smooth. Like, I guess when it's, when you're younger, you're more adaptable. So you think like, oh yeah, I could totally get on board, but I definitely can sense that certain preferences of mine are, are more crystallized, maybe not crystallized, but certainly more fixed. Um, and it makes me think about, you know, there is a language barrier. Like I cannot express myself as clearly or as, or as articulately in Korean as I can in English. And like, how does that, that that's a, a pretty significant limitation. I'm like you. I, I agree there. To me, I always like analogize it to having to do everything with your left hand. If you're, if you're right-handed, uh-huh. um, yeah. I, I can do it. I can get it done, but I'm going to look and feel awkward doing it because it's not, it's not going to be super coordinated. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's like, it, you take that with you. So but if your ability to express yourself is altered, you pretty much become a different person. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, that's true. It is. Um, that's very true. Yep. And and it's and like for me, it it's not just the language too. Like culturally, uh, I stand out. Like people, you know, um, when I speak Korean, people accept me as how, Korean. How do but, you how do you stand out? Do you think? Um, I, I asked one time, and they were like, "The way you dress, like your fashion, is definitely not Korean." Okay. Uh, the way you carry yourself and just like uh, the move intangibles. through crowds, yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. um, like I'm not. I, I guess I'm more comfortable that, that, just taking up that, a lot that, of space. That and, like, part of it, I don't mind. I, that part of it, I don't mind at all. Um, I get no, that I, too, but I, I kind of like the fact that I'm different there. It's, it's, right, it's, it's something just that to I have to deal with too. every day. It wouldn't. It would not bring me uh, any pain. <laughs> I'd be. I'd be fine. No, with it, that. it yeah. wouldn't. I think it just punctuates that like. There's there's things that are completely out of your control um, that will make you stand out or make it harder to fit in or perhaps not pick up on certain, you know, like certain cultural things just may not mesh with you as easily. And and I'm thinking, you know, my dad was telling me something. He moved from Seoul to uh, a smaller city out like an hour, hour and a half outside of it. And. Uh, I mean, my dad speaks, he's a Korean native, so he speaks Korean fluently. He can express himself fully. Uh, And yet, because of his time in America, he still has some difficulties relating to Koreans that may not have spent any time abroad. Uh, Um, 
culturally or like there's expectations even even his interests like uh he's into bossa nova and there's not that many koreans that are into bossa nova just by the numbers <laughs> you know so so he finds it hard to relate sometimes is um, your dad, did he I, spend time in like brazil or something or no 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 he um he just really loves jazz oh, okay. and and through exploring the jazz 70s like were once good he to kind him, of apparently <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can say that. <laughs> does he does he, to, life. does he go to like Hongdae? Like Hongdae has like lots of jazz bars, right? Uh, when he was in, uh, he had his spots. I'm not sure exactly where they were. I just showed up with him. Um, he would he would definitely like there were jazz cafes and clubs that he would go to, and like sometimes he would play. Um, he'd be he'd oh shit, be what does he play? Guitar. Oh, nice. Damn, yeah. Jung has a cool dad. He must have shown you Dude, a good time in Korea, man. <laughs> he's cool. He's cooler than me. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, and 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 you that's know kinda, like that's a weird. It, he, I, that's weird, man. I can't imagine having a cool dad. Uh, that's it. That's it. He's just like someone who's like cooler than me. I guess I'm not saying I'm cool. I'm just saying if my dad was cooler than me, that would yeah. just be a very different experience that, of life. That's a that's a major burden that I am glad I never had to do. to have a cool dad. <laughs> yeah. Nah, it's not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it does have its perks, you know. He can show you around. And, I think and, it would have huge perks. Like I would love to have a cool dad. Well, see, but I, when I you're growing wonder, up, like, is it kind of like being like the child of a very beautiful celebrity and not be like not having inherited such genetic gifts to the full extent possible? That's probably like bad. the extreme version, like, like Brooklyn Beckham, or like like you know like Audrey Hepburn's kids. Oh, I don't even know. I don't even. Well, I know she had a kid. I don't even know they existed though. <laughs> or Ke- Kevin Bacon and Kyra. Ke- Kevin Bacon and Kyra Sedgwick have like these two kids that just don't match up to them. Wait, are you implying Kevin Bacon is handsome? Well, he's fit <laughs> for a guy that that age. You know what I mean? Like you put. You see, that's the funny thing about Hollywood. I don't think this, but like Kevin Bacon is a pretty like not great looking movie star. But put him next to a regular person. Uh, in a photo, yeah, and it's pretty clear who's the yeah, who's probably. the star. <laughs> the grooming and nutrition, and the, the health, dietitian yeah, yeah, exactly. And the yeah, personal trainer and the fashion, mm-hmm. just, you know, yeah, they have a whole team. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, speaking of movies, that that's a good segue to my travels. I went to L.A. Uh, mainly to visit a lot of people, uh, primarily just, <laughs> uh, but there were like also other you know friends and then like Plan A affiliated people I wanted to see and. Funnily enough, even though, you know, I was born and raised on the West Coast, uh, you know, Pacific Northwest specifically, I have never spent time in L.A. I've kind of spent time in San Francisco, uh, San Diego, um, you know, just like driving through and spending some time. But L.A. was always just like a drive through town for me. and I did not have a good impression of it. So I figured this time I should go and check it out. So I went there. Uh, Jess was so nice, picked me up from the airport, we went to do the usual, we went to get in and out, which, honestly, I cannot take, tell, tell the difference from Shake Shack. I can tell it's better than Five Five Guys. Oh, we're gonna have, like, that horrible, tired old burger debate, but in and out is fine, but I really can't tell the difference. It's, it's like, the, uh, the Double Double's the, a bigger Shake Shack the, the burger, reason that's, you, that's it to The me. reason you can't tell the difference is because of the same reason why you thought LA was a drive through town. Uh, the only <laughs> reason people think in and out is so great is because it's like it's so tightly like connected to L.A. And it, there's this whole like city pride and local pride in it. As yeah, if, you know, yeah. You, yeah, it's just tied in with surf culture, you know, just the idea of being tan 
and grabbing a burger and a shake after you know you crush some waves or whatever. <laughs> Wait, hold on, really? Because I have absolutely no association with any of that from like between me and In and Out. That's a kind of interesting yeah, you guys I, bring that I, up. Well, but actually, you're not in LA though. You're not in LA. It's no, uh, it's not. pretty crazy like here. It, like and it has like In and Out has crazy lines um outside it um i always i never understood it um and honestly well and also it never had a shake shack like in and out was better than is better than mcdonald's for sure so yeah john i agree it's good part of it it's just part of it it to me just feels a little unfair because uh along with in and out there's a huge um there's a huge kind of like culture of like mom and pop burger stands uh and these are really great you know uh food joints it's like the, it's like Jersey, Jersey's like the that. 50s and 60s. Yeah, and then you yeah, know, you get like five diamond burgers and all this shit. And there's only like one or two of them and shit. You yeah. Know? yeah, and the, the menus uh, they're largely like I mean it's an incredible menu. The best of them will offer like really good pastrami all the way to like chili uh, and like and you know Hispanic food like you know Tex-Mex style burritos. Um, it's a great like mingling of like tastes and foods in one place that and to me that represents LA a lot more than you know in and out so um i mean uh so when oxford came to la and he's like i want to go to in and out that i was like oh, okay that's actually the first time i had been to in and out in like 10 years um and honestly it was it was better than i had remembered um but like completely dissociated from like the like this as a like an la like hallmark it just it just wasn't that great um after after oxford left i went to shake shack it was like yeah this is better <laughs> i can get cu- yeah like well, I can get uh, I, yeah i mean like it's like at least the same if not better um so but you know it's still very good and i mean and then uh i stayed with a bunch of friends like in, in fullerton and then cape town and then like, like silver lake so i, I got a and oh, I you were cou- the- you were couch surfing. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, and I really don't like paying for you know cabs and stuff. So I I took the the metro or the bus as much as I could. Jesus. Like everywhere. Wow. And I got I got you know like I, I all my friends there were like I've never taken the metro the LA metro and I took it uh, uh everywhere and you know it's 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 pretty cool um it's it's fine um and yeah I got to see the the city quite a bit um. But I will say when I got back to New York City, uh, the next day, uh, I, I like walk onto a sidewalk and you see like actual people and you see life on the streets as opposed to like a concrete desert. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this, you know, I, I like this better. Um, see, the, the thing that gets me about like LA, like, like Jess and I on the first day, we spent a lot of time in, in the San Gabriel Valley, which is like a very well known, uh, you know, like Asian enclave. And the thing about, I guess the pros and cons of, of something like that is, is you kind of see the maybe like the, the um, John, you actually said this uh, when I when I was like texting you guys, you're like, oh, welcome to the future. Uh, <laughs> but then the, the, the problem with seeing the future is then you think, is this it? Yeah. <laughs> and then when you think of like uh, the, the when I think of like Asians, the first word that comes to my mind is complacency. And you look at something like the SGV, everything is so easy there. You're like the UC system is so good that even if you're, you know, like a complete dumbass, you'll go to a pretty good school at mm-hmm. a, you know, reasonable tuition, at least compared to, you know, private schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have lots of Asians around you so that even if, uh, you know, there's like actual discrimination, you can insulate yourself pretty well 
from that. Um, and I, th I think your, your brain starts atrophying, your, that drive <laughs> in you. And I think it's, it's like New York neurosis versus California complacency. And I will take neurosis every single time. <laughs> yeah. Because I think it is what drives you but to it's, want I mean, more. But it, it might be that it's manifesting itself in different ways. And, and as New Yorkers, we're looking for a... Like you said, like, uh, there, you know, there's life on the street here. Um, the life in LA takes, as a, it, it, you know, takes place in homes and, and, and stuff. And um, I, I wonder if it's just a, a function of like... We expect it to. We expect the enclave, you know, a woke enclave. Uh, not a, sorry, uh, an, an engaged enclave um, to to appear a certain way. I don't know. Maybe maybe that it's just taking place in. I don't know inside like private. I think that's a misperception of what an enclave is. Um, I see mm. this reflected in in like online conversations of what these you know dense enclave the big enclaves or the ones that kind of take on its own like gravitational force you know its due own to zip the sheer code, size yeah. of it yeah, yeah. Um, the idea that having so many people of a certain creed and color uh, automatically lends itself to you know wokeness or some sort of like uh, affiliation I think that's a that's a that's it's the the reality is the opposite. An enclave allows you to forget about this difference. Right. Um, I so you can I don't know. I, okay, I could disagree with you right there on this basis that the okay. New York enclaves like Flushing and Chinatown Manhattan and, and Brooklyn as well are the opposite. They are extremely engaged. They're they're very but it's because they're poor probably. But it's not it's not a necessary characteristic of an enclave. Not yeah. the ones in New York. Not the ones in no, New York. No, no. Yeah. I mean Either way, it's not necessary to define an enclave. Yeah, but I think the difference there is that those places uh, have deep roots and they're poor. They're po and I, that think, will I, I think that's the part is that, that matters is that they're poor. Yeah, whereas like the SGV yeah. is relatively new and they're relatively well Yeah, off. and that's an well, important I mean, distinction. It's, well, the distinction isn't is that the SGV, and I, and I think the Bay Area uh, to a degree here as well, um, you can't say that they're all from one class. It is highly stratified. So within the SGV, you do have the working class, you do have poor Asian areas, and you also have, you know, the Asian Bel Airs, right? Um, like, I, uh, we drove by Jay Cho's house. Um, I pointed this out to Chris. Oh, yeah. She showed me, show me Jay Cho's house. Li I didn't even um, know he so, lived in LA. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, it was a huge I think it's like an absentee landlord, more like. Um, but, like, so they, so. In that sense, so what you pointed out just there about the uh, New York enclaves, that's an important distinction, that they can rally around a unified characteristic beyond uh, ethnicity, which is class. Um, and I do think, you know, the, the um, being physically engaged, like having to interact with people on the sidewalk, uh, having to, you know, actually walk a sidewalk, pass by storefronts, deal with people, and not sit in a little metal bubble, I think that does lend itself to a certain, um, like feeling of solidarity with the but community. that's not accurate of what's happening in new york because it's not really about class it's not like the the activists in these enclaves are engaged in some larger class struggle or class movement uh labor rights or something like that though there are there is that i mean there's like labor union members and stuff but the i think a lot of it has to do with like neighborhood issues and a lot of it does have to do with um an awareness of racism and and for example like the way that police and city hall is not as responsive to them because they're Chinese. They know that. 
and that, you know, or that they get, you know, recently Sam has, who's been on the pod, has been talking a lot about, um, you know, the, the city deciding to relocate Rikers in part to Chinatown and how the local people there were felt like they were cut out of the process and was dumped on them because they are Chinese. So I think, I don't know. I mean, maybe class informs why they're more um, identified ethnically. But it is an ethnic definition that I think is operating behind a lot of their activism. Um, so it's tough to say whether it's just because they're willing to put class above their race. No, I, I think don't it's think just that's a, what's happening. I think it's a confluence of uh, people, place, and time. Right? I think I, I'm if I'm not mistaken, the uh, the New York Asian enclaves are are geographically much smaller in size than say. You know, the San Gabriel Valley plus, you know, Orange County. Much smaller, here. much more dense. Yeah, much smaller, yeah. much more dense. Yeah. So I think that 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 has a that has a lot to do with it. Like and when you were talking about, you know, neighborhood activism, you know, how engaged people are in the community. I'm scratching my head because I actually don't know, Um, which that's not to say it doesn't exist. But it also does say that someone who grew up and lived here and is connected and knows, you know, my entire social network is basically here uh, would not really have a great sense of it. Um, that's how disconnected you could be. I mean, there are like low, like focal points of activism that do that do emerge, right? Like most notably, uh, the Koreatown, uh, the homeless shelter situation that that uh, that happened in Orange County in LA. That prompted a huge community response, and it was, uh, I mean, it was prompt and it was it was swift and it was highly attended and paid and a lot of people paid attention to it. So it's not to say that that uh, that uh, ability to mobilize isn't there. It just takes it just takes like specifically Southern California ways of mobilizing it to get. Well, some and Koreatown to is it. a pretty is a pretty poor neighborhood, relatively speaking, compared to relatively speaking. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. The thing about the Koreatown situation is that it's uh, uh, the neighborhood, the people most uh, immediately affected are working class mm. uh, Koreatown residents. Yeah. But yeah. they were helped by wealthy Koreans uh, and, and wealthy, you know, Chinese too, uh, who mm. are the primary, like, real estate uh, real owners, estate owners yeah. of that yeah. area. So yep. that's, I mean, in a in a capitalist uh, show of solidarity, this is, how you, this is how that worked out in Koreatown. Everyone's interests were aligned. And it's uh, and it was you know wealthy real estate developers who pulled the strings to get the mayor's ear to get that public hearing to get some attention and you know who paid for all the outreach that's required to reach you know all the di- you know all the Koreans and all the Asians in the immediate area who are not immediately tr- dialed in. But you know what that sounds like to me. I mean, it sounds like f- politics functioning as it should. Yeah, <laughs> right. It is. Like- it's just kind so, of the but, day I mean, in the life of uh, an American all this neighborhood. To kind of say, like, like the conception of the enclave as this place uh, where you go to become activated and, you know, feel solidarity, uh, I think you would be disillusioned if you, say, you know, move to the San Gabriel Valley, as, you know, some people online threaten to do, like, every six months. Um, <laughs> like, you would be disillusioned. Yeah, it's like the Asian version of white people threaten to move to Canada. Yeah, it's like, you, you probably don't want, you probably don't want to... It, the sheer size of an enclave like this uh, just simply means you can go about your life without uh, the pathology of difference. You can be people, not Asian people. Um, and that's all it means. And, and people are shitty. People are shitty to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's not like it's not like if you come here, 
yes, that pathology of difference is will be will be um, tempered somewhat. It doesn't protect you from the shitty like day to day quotidian shittiness. One thing, one thing I think that I learned about I mean I knew this about China, but I now it's like you know ingrained in me how true this is. Uh, is that Chinese are like they're city people. Chinese are city people, and like they come, you know, the ones that come over. Like America's really different. The landscape's really different. That's part of the reason I think why it draws them is, um, you know, the, this. It, 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 I think it almost feels quite exotic to live in a, or, or it's a very new experience to be able to have so much land and space, and you know, it's just amazing. And in China, there's just like no space. Um, space is at a super premium, and the culture is really kind of grown around this this idea of there being no space and so they have the manners of city people and just like everyone thinks new yorkers are rude you know i think that's why a lot of times we find chinese people rude is because they're they're ultra urban people you know they're like yeah isn't isn't like a small city in china like it'd be like like the second biggest city in in america or something like that Guangzhou, where i was is not I don't think anywhere near the size of like Shanghai or Beijing, but it has just in the city itself, 14 and a half million people, which is about almost. How big is Chicago? How big is Chicago? Uh, I don't know. Maybe 3 million people. Something like that. Uh, Ch- Chicago's Wait, really? less, maybe, like, maybe less than that. It, Chicago's like, I like, think, a, like a greater Chicago area. Uh, I got to look this no, up. No, the city, the city. It's probably somewhere like Brooklyn, like 2.7 million or something like that. Um, that's my guess. Oh shit! It is two point seven one six million. Two point seven one six million. I I did not have Wikipedia for that. Um, uh, the the uh, 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 it's uh, it's not exactly a first tier city. Guangzhou is like a shade below neighboring Shenzhen, which is only like you know a short train ride away. Uh, fourteen and a half million people, and it's dense. I mean, it's 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 not like L.A. It's more like New York. Uh, even denser than parts of New York City, and and a lot of just just a lot of activity, a lot of noise, very little personal yeah, space. I, I, you know, I'm I'm on Google right now. Uh, Chongqing, Chongqing. I, I don't yeah. think Chongqing. Yeah, you know, I, which I don't think most people even know about has 30 million. Yeah, people. 30 million. Chongqing's a little weird of the way they count, but yeah, 30 million there. Um, there's another city called like Wuhan that has like eight million people. Just to compare, L.A. is listed at four million. Yeah, it's <laughs> unreal. Yeah, and and um, we complain about the traffic a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I could. They not live in future cities, like, man. Like you go to a city in Asia, it's not just China. I mean, Seoul is a fucking huge city, from what I understand. I've never been there. Yeah, it's um, it's huge. Um, yeah, like being being in L.A., it ha- made me be car DJ, a role that I hadn't had to assume in, in like since like high school when yeah. I you know was like being driven around by my parents and stuff. Uh, that, that we was should fun. do. You know what? We but, should at some later point we should just do a we just do talk about Asian urbanism. And just how that's at a totally different fucking level than anything in the West. It's just fucking oh, yeah, insane. Yeah. To to take this discussion on another track, I, I want to say uh, highlight something that Jess said. We were so we were driving up the the San Gabriel Mountains. It was a beautiful view. We were listening to Joe Hisaishi <laughs> as I was playing car DJ. <laughs> and then uh, Jess, you said something that I thought was very interesting. You were saying how like the San Gabriel Valley, everything cool about the San Gabriel Valley was brought in by like first generation or 1.5 generation. And just to clarify, because I think some people um, 
use these differently, but first generation means kind of like our parents, uh, you know, uh, probably our parents who, who immigrated as they were adults, uh, you know, came here usually to raise families. Uh, second generation are people who were born in America to immigrant parents. And a 1.5 generation is generally anybody who came to America from Asia during like their youth, which can be defined as probably anything high school or younger. Um, I don't know, maybe some people can stretch it to college, but I think it's usually high school or younger. So Jess, you said that, and, and you know, I kind of agree with that. I do think that there is this kind of curse of being a second gen Asian American, um, that you're just stuck in this place where you're no good to anyone. <laughs> well, okay. And I want to elaborate on that. Um, I, I remember that conversation, um, uh, right after I told you that there were no pedestrians on this twisty, turny little highway, and lo and behold, there Th- comes. Then we saw that one like old guy jogging. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, way to go, guy. Um, so I remember that conversation, and I, uh, like, I, 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 I think I'm, I am very proud to be Asian. Uh, I am very happy with where I live, and I'm grateful for the chance to have grown up in this area. Um, and in reflecting on all these touch points, and when you talk about pride, it has, it has to kind of default, you kind of build that off of material touch points that you can, uh, call to mind. And when I think about the things that make, uh, that, um, that make being Asian cool, um, most of that has nothing to do with me or my cohort. Uh, so if we're talking about, like, like, there's a lot of uh, very nice restaurants, you know, shopping experiences being built completely by, uh, uh, with foreign money. Uh, so Chinese and Hong Kong, you know, Hong Kong developers mostly come in um, and they build beautiful structures uh, with extremely high-end uh, dining establishments. And, you know, all across the spectrum, really, um, it brings in that modern Asian aesthetic to Southern California architecture. It's masterfully done. Um, in terms of the food that comes in, they're all they're all imports um, from what's going on back, you know, quote in the motherlands, right? In Korea, Japan, China, um, uh, places in Taiwan. Um, so it's all brought here by first gen or or you know one point five gen people um, for a primarily you know one point five to two second gen uh, audience. Um, and you get a sense of how, how dynamic this is and where, where these touch points are coming from. When you contrast, you know, what's going on in the Chinese sections of SJV with, say, what, what you see in Little Tokyo, uh, in downtown LA and, and the old Chinatown, uh, the original Chinatown, which is largely dead at this point. Um, there's no, nothing goes on there that's, that anyone cares about. Um, and what you see in the, in Little Tokyo and the original Chinatown, uh, those are time capsule, um, yeah locations yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you they're, go to little tokyo like, yeah they're yeah. like uh heritage neighborhoods at this point yeah so you know the architecture it's borrowed from you know like japanese temples but you know old temples there's nothing modern or modernist about it there there is some influence you know in like the actual like maybe the food or the drink or you know art like objects sold in the stores but in terms of the overall feel there's a lot more uh value placed on preserving you know this this thing this heritage, right, that's dated to like 1650 or something, and it's held there static. And that's the value, that it is frozen in time. Whereas you step out uh, to different zones and you see how dynamic and modern uh, and new uh, things are getting 
all in an Asian context, but it's all imported from this new Asia that's emerging back home. Sorry. So what you're saying is that you live, you don't live in a suburb of LA. You live in a suburb of like China. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, the, um, the yellow empire has jumped the Pacific ocean and, you know, it, culturally that's how, that's what it sounds like. I mean, yeah, it, it is. I mean, it's, it is in a very, it, you know, you could call it a, a, a form of colonialism. Um, in a, I mean, it's it's welcomed and cherished and very much valued in this area. But that's that, that is that tells exactly you the power of the uh, that tells you the power of like the internet and stuff because the people I know, one and a half jet, etc., um, girlfriend included, they're able to keep up with culture going on in their home country, so to speak, or their country of origin, right? They're they're just they're just as plugged in to some extent as their friends over there, so they don't miss a beat. But the thing there, it's not like I don't see it as a curse to be second gen. So I know I said that, and I know it sounds kind of terrible to feel like you are cut off from this. You know, you're cut off from both wellsprings, right? This American heritage that you largely have no, you know, you don't have like a, an ownership stake in these artifacts of culture here. Um, but you're also not tapped into you know what's going on quote back home right so it'd be it'd be inauthentic to kind of claim ownership of both but i also find that to be kind of empowering in a way uh i mean i count david chang i mean david chang second gen right yeah i think so yeah yeah um he's not bound by any of the rules of either mm. Um, mm -hmm. So as much as we talk, yeah. as much as people say like, oh, this is the newest thing, you know, coming in from Taipei, like it's a truffle tea. Holy shit, guys. Um, and Ew, there's value that, in that so it's authentic. Um, the second gen superpower is in not having to give a shit about any of that. Nothing is going to be like authentic. Yeah. But here's the thing. David Chang also spent like years in Tokyo. Which, um, which I, th this is something that, that TK and Quien and I talked about in our podcast about the uh, immigrant time warp in that, yeah. uh, it, like, the people I kind of feel most bad for, um, and I, I don't mean that in a condescending way, but just it are like the second gens whose parents have largely um, settled down in America, the kind that speak only English to their kids, their kids don't really know their Asian language, haven't spent a lot of time in Asia, um, I feel like those people are, are you know, they, they've got it tough because, you know, my parents yeah. moved back to Asia, um, you know, like over a decade ago. And ever since that, I, I've been going back to Korea quite a bit. I think for a second gen, I'm relatively in tune, uh, uh, you know, not, and there's a lot of stuff I'm ignorant about, but um, I think I'm more connected than most. And that does give you some life uh a lifeline um uh, but i do think that the really like second gen like really really second gen people that you know that it's tough for them i think you know i can say i i had an experience like going to uh just hanging out with people uh you know in their, in their early 30s and stuff in in china i guess it's a little different um now that we're a little older but like everything we're talking about right now is kind of premised off what you guys originally said, which is like everything cool that's introduced is coming from the first or the first one and a half gen. 
but we're talking about like what's considered cool. Like it's like, okay, these cool restaurants, these cool fads, this very like visible, tangible connection to, you know, to Asia and the street culture and the, you know, the, the, the hipness of Asia. But in talking to uh, people there, I feel like that's just a very small aspect of life in Asia that we almost as Asian Americans, as Americans, are sort of overemphasizing the importance of that, like how much it, that stuff actually represents Asia or Asianness, is a lot less than I think it feels like here, where we're bombarded with these stories about how quickly Ch- Asia is changing and their society's changing, and they're always talking about how much stuff is changing. And yeah, I go to you know China, and I'm sure Guangzhou looked really different, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, and there's all these skyscrapers around. It's amazing. But I, like as an American, I didn't really, I mean, what city doesn't look like that now? You know, everywhere is changing, right? Brazil looks like this. Turkey looks like this. I mean, go to, go to like Istanbul. It's just same thing, right? And I don't care about that stuff. Uh, so I guess to off, I do feel bad for such people, Oxford, but I would say that the way out for me from that, uh, that feeling is like, it's, it, I don't think this stuff is really that important. I think what's more important is, um, you know, worrying about life here because the stuff that the, like the people that I know that were talking about stuff, what were they talking about? They were talking about their career anxiety. They were talking about resentment of elitism. China is a kind of society that now we're like the same class of people. Like they all went to the same schools. They all grew up in the same neighborhoods have wildly different outcomes. You know, some of them do incredibly well and some of them just do okay, you know, and some of them come to America or whatever. Um, that causes a lot of dramas, you know, and that they worry about stuff like that. I don't think they're particularly give a shit about fads and pop. Like they, they find it annoying the same way that Americans found Starbucks annoying when it was popping up everywhere, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Know. You're saying it's a, it's a frame of reference. Yeah. I think as Asian Americans, we, we kind of act like Americans and we get a little bit, we, we kind of let this, the, the media, and the the and the re, you know the retail media and all that stuff sort of dictate what it means to be Korean or what it means to be Chinese. But you go to China, spend time with people there. It's it's as small a part of their life as I think pop culture in America is to us, which is it's a constant presence and yeah you know whatever. But it doesn't like it's not really that important well, to your life. Well, I'm you talking know? about like I I almost like jumped in to say i don't care what it means to them in china this is what it mm. means i think to the second to us. here in an to to us. us here yeah um and i know that i guess what i'm saying I, i'm making the argument that i don't think it should it should mean that much i don't think we should be letting it affect us too much i guess um, is what I'm i saying. i mm. i actually i kind of agree um i've kind of come to terms with that i mean i think there is a mandate on the second gen um, and I, I, there's, I don't ascribe any shame or any kind of resentment to it. With the the mandate on the second gen is to survive. Uh, I mean, it's it's a carryover of the first gen, but it's you know, it's it's still a it's still recent enough that that is still a primary mandate. So I don't think there's any shame in take you know, taking a white collar job, not being a producer of culture, not being a you know. Um, you know, not being running the hippest. Sh- yeah, there is no shame in that. <laughs> um, I think that it, you know, when we talk about like not feeling ownership over these cultural artifacts, I think it's still a residual like angst over uh yappy dumb. 
no, well, then, I understand it. I, I understand this because I grew up in an area that had like not quite the critical amount of Asian people that to to really spawn like a local you know youth culture or scene that I could be a part of, and that would be my social life, right? Like I still had to be part of the bigger thing, you know, and so. Um, I feel like when like things like bubble tea shops started popping up, um, it was exciting to see, not because I really wanted bubble tea, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or that I thought bubble tea tasted that great or whatever. It was just a sign that, you know, um, it was a sign that, you know, some kind of, uh, there was some kind of significance to our presence, uh, enough to justify a store like that or something. Yeah. Uh, that's, but I, now it gets, I, I understand the feeling. Yeah, so I think a lot of importance gets attached to that. But now when you're talking about how, you know, th that's not the story at all. The story now is like, you know, um, it's everywhere now, you know. Uh, then I, I, I just don't, I just don't attach as much feeling or interest in it now. And I see Asian retail all the time. I find Uniqlo as annoying as I find Gap, you know, <laughs> like... Um, hey, don't don't bad yeah, off Uniqlo. I, I buy my jeans. Uniqlo, Uniqlo yeah. has gone downhill, and you know it sucks. It, it I, was good. I, it I was good, but it's gone way downhill. Yeah, I, 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 my shirt fell apart after three washes. That's not okay. I paid a whole six dollars for it. I'll, I'll say, I'll say one thing about second gen. Um, and th this is a thing that I've actually started to notice more and more in recent years. Uh, as far strictly limited just to say culture, like producers of culture. Second gen producers tend to be not so visible as Asian producers. Um, like there was there was actually a pretty funny like hubbub. Um, a local ice cream chain opened up in Pasadena. Um uh Peen, you've been to Pasadena. It it kind of reads as a white area. Um and the shop, you know, it was it's just per it's just like nicely done, you know, millennial friendly, all marble and wood. Um uh, and uh, the ice cream that they served was uh, had a lot of like Asian influences. Oh, there's like, mm, a like sesame tea. or something, matcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was hilarious is that this uh, like white uh, liberal like co like local college student decided to protest this shop for appropriating. <laughs> um, oh, and it no. turned out, and it turned out the two co-founders of this ice cream shop were like Vietnamese brothers. Second gen, <laughs> like second gen Vietnamese brothers. They were not, uh, like, you know, so th the whole story they was staffed by like white college kids in a, you know, in a pretty like white area. Uh, and they got called out for appropriating these Asian flavors and saying, you shouldn't do that. That's inappropriate. Um, and then it turned out that, like that was them, right? And that's the most like, like notable example. And then once, and that kind of, tipped me off and once i started looking a little harder you can see second gen like producers in a lot of different uh creative roles like we t even in hollywood right as much as we talk about in front of the camera representation um there's a lot of asians behind the camera um and some in in some some positions of influence as well so um so when we talk about like you know the coolness of you know these these first gen or 1.5 gen people bringing in the newest and freshest from asia uh to these shores um i think that does obscure that second gen contributions tend to not they don't code as asian right off the bat it's not noticeable you have to look a little bit deeper you, you know what the reason for that is i agree i agree with you i, I think the trust. reason is because second gens as this has been a sob story about second gens 
But uh, a little <laughs> bit of a, uh, a bragging right is uh, second gen Asian Americans are the ones that accomplish all the crazy shit because we have all that pressure on us and we all end up going to fucking Harvard and rising up corporate ranks and stuff like that. I think I think that there is a certain amount of respect for second gen in that we tend to be the epitome of the model minority. Uh, and I, I guess I'm a little tired of having to denounce success in my life. Uh, yeah. Uh, because that somehow makes me conformist and unimaginative. And I'm like, yeah, fuck you. Uh, you know, I'm proud of, I'm proud of the things that I accomplished in life, whether you're sure. stereotypical or not. I mean, you know, in one, gen- like we're all one generation removed from war, from like a flattening of the places we came from. Like, we're just one generation removed, and we're talking about, and here we are, we can talk about the fine points of cheese, right? Like, this is actually a monumental step in terms of material survival. Uh, This is a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice. And we talk about not quite fitting in, you know, in Korea or China or whatever. Like, our parents didn't have, they made a tough choice to come to a place where they knew they didn't fit in, even worse than we, and they made it work somehow. And I'm never going to I'm never going to breathe a word of like disrespect for that kind of like monumental sacrifice. Absolutely. And there's one thing I there's one thing that I want to point out too is that yet yeah, yes, as second generations, uh, we certainly do feel removed um, or like not a hundred percent of either culture. But that's not um, that's not set in stone. That's that's not a, a predefined conclusion. Like as an individual, uh, or as individuals, you know, if some people will have it easier than others, but we, we can take it upon ourselves to try and connect, right? And like maybe, yeah, like I'm never going to see Korea as a native Korean, but that doesn't mean that I can't still try and interact and find a place within it, you know? Like, yeah, like, oh, absolutely, weird, absolutely, there's going to be weird moments where, like, a, a, you know, the Korean dude I'm hanging out with is like, that was weird. Like, where did that come from? If your parent, if, if someone, if, you know, someone in your family was able to make the jump from Asia to the U.S., the the opposite jump is going to be much easier. Of course, of course. But even more, initial jump, you know? But even more than that, right? Like, we have, uh, not just the ability to connect to our native countries and cultures, but like being being fluent English speakers, we have access to international communities that perhaps Koreans trying to learn English would may not necessarily have access to. The thing about second gens is if we look at the the time period in which we were able, we had the the I guess the um, the license to set up something of our own. Um, it, it was very small because I. I mean, I, I don't know the the like demographic immigration data, but I would think that the the bulk of second gens, I I would assume, were probably like either like young Gen Xers, like you teen, mm-hmm. to like older millennials, and and that was before you would have like the the Asian wave actually coming through. Yeah. So th- this was like the time period in which you had uh, all uh, like you were kind of undisturbed to create your own like you know uniquely second generation asian american culture mm-hmm. and when you think of uh well first of all you had to put up with all the pressure from your like first gen parents uh all the discrimination against from you know mainstream american society the complete lack of communication with asia 
there were, it, it was an extremely short amount of time to actually set up anything, which is why I do get kind of pissed off when people say, like, how come you Asian Americans haven't, like, you know, created your own hip-hop yet? Like, we haven't been here long enough, you motherfuckers, you know? <laughs> and then, um, and so I, I think uh, that is fair to recognize. Um, but uh, I also think uh, we, we met up with, with a certain, um, uh, let's just say a, a well-known Asian American, you know, like, you know, pretty well-known Asian American. And then we, we had a good discussion about the fact that there is no real like Asian American alternative like I- identity, well, like, even the so-called like rebellious Asian is really just you know kind of like an imitation of like like a white mm. art school dropout type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so either you're the kind of Asian American who wants to be uh, in, in like a Marvel movie or like uh, you know that kind of like mainstream success, or you want to be uh an outsider but like a very mainstream definition of an outsider there's no real conception of like an anti-establishment asian american we have no conception <laughs> that's why of that. if you're an asian fail son you're just a fail son and then that's why you <laughs> that's why you end up you know there's an asian there's asian kids in proud boys in that in that photo that's why that happens because there's no there, there's nowhere for them to go except into something like that, you know. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's why uh, when we when we say like we're you know we're a well white collar, we're like yeah, because I you know, I do take pride in it. I do think that you know I, I do take pride in the fact that we're not all a bunch of you know I mean I mean I studied liberal arts, I guess so I, I can't badmouth that, but we're not all just a bunch of these like. I don't know, MFA having like art school agents who like disdain every other agent. No, we're like of of the people and we we want to speak you know from the people we we don't think ourselves separate and that actually is a radical idea in contemporary asian american identity yeah i feel sorry for people who have the acting bug um i think that the, the you're right i think we just haven't had enough time and there's i think of like the first gen see things are different now because people come over with money so this might just be more of a specific that post nineteen sixty five wave. Things might be different now, but maybe not. I don't know. But that first, maybe it's not the first wave come comes over. I think that they're they're really like just kind of digging, finding a place to build a foundation and then laying a foundation. That's all they can really hope to accomplish, right? And then the second gen is not exactly freed from construction. Like we got to put up walls, you know. Like we got to design the floors and shit like not everything's done like we still have to sort of to i mean i mean in terms of securing our uh existence here right like um what uh jess you called it the mandate right i think unfortunately acting is not really part of that uh second that second gen mandate uh and so i feel sorry for people who have the acting bug and have to, you know, you know, they don't even have a proper home yet, but they, they've got to jump to that step. They cannot wait. And it's unfair to make someone wait if that's just really what they want to do. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. There, there's that very uh, famous Ben Franklin quote where he says, I mean, I study like military tactics and economics so that my sons may study like art and philosophy. Right, right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. 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 So. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you spent if if you're like a if you're like an Asian uh, doctor who like hates their fucking career, which I am told is a is a very high rate of doctors. Um, <laughs> it's true. It's like the one I think it's I have a the friend worst off who like lawyers. basically basically quit being a doctor. 
and it's like a very it's like a very uh frowned upon thing to do uh it's not like being a lawyer and quitting you know they 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 celebrate when you quit you know like oh yeah i i, I want to be the next one but like you know doctors have uh, a, a much like higher uh uh, conception of, of like a calling and all that my i i've had per, i've had issues with the you know i've had my own personal dislikes about you know a legal career but i think it's i think it's important like if you're wrestling with stuff like that like you can if you if there's aspects of your uh career that you don't like or your job like don't don't internalize that and therefore like dislike yourself for doing it right like you shouldn't hate yourself for being a doctor is what i'm saying like even if you're not enjoying you know all of it um i think like we have these fantasies like ken jong i thought is was got popular in large part because he was a doctor and in that was that sort of fantasy of quitting all this bullshit to do what i really want to do and i think he became kind of an icon and a hero for doing that but i feel like it's kind of premised off of denigrating people who just grind it out in their chosen career uh, it, or, or it can shade into that. Uh, so that's, I don't know. I think that's, I think that's something that people should have to grapple I with. I mean, it's, it's to. adopting a privileged white. It's, it's tapping into a, something that's pretty prevalent in liberal white circles, in privileged liberal yeah, white I, circles. Yeah, I think that's what I, exactly what I was going to say, yeah. Mm. You're supposed to kind of hold it at, you know, at every move. You're supposed to be kind of embarrassed about it. You're kind of supposed to, you know, want mm-hmm. to fill a suitcase full of mescaline and go drive a ca- steal a caddy and drive out to Vegas. Mm-hmm. Right. This is just bred but into that's us. Not, this that's, is, but this that's is not necessarily to say that's not necessarily to say that Ken Jong uh the see the case gets hard to make, so maybe maybe he was uh <laughs> but the problem was he was successful. <laughs> I mean we're obsessed uh, with the authentic. We're obsessed yeah. we are absolutely obsessed with this conception of authentic. You know, authentic food, and then you get into some pseudo psychological spiritual crap with authenticity to self, right? And that gets awfully murky really fast. Uh, and we're we're bred to have this this anxiety over well, what if you are actually happy with yourself as a six figure earning attorney, right? We're encouraged to think of that as somehow like this is this is bougie, this is fake, this is this is not good, this is inauthentic no, or even- in some way. Or even if you're not, it's not because uh, of some unique uh, ethnic experience. Yeah, uh, a lot of I mean, lawyer, most lawyers that I knew, was stri- shit uh, that whatever. I got yeah. from yeah. liberal arts Asians for being uh-huh. just another Asian cranking it out in mechanical engineering. Why don't you go yell at the white business students? You know what I mean? Like, what about them? Uh, but, ju- but just you, you know, you know what the what probably happened is that. Now you have the freedom to actually like say what you mean, and those people probably don't because they're like living day to day or whatever. So, um, and I can do math, suck it, <laughs> right? Um, like, yeah. I don't know, I had to get that out there. I don't think it really was topical, but I just, I just had to. Mm. No, um, I hear you, I hear you. Uh, I think to close things off, we can just talk. I mean, by the time this uh, podcast goes out, Thanksgiving will be over. But uh, why don't we just talk about what we're doing with Thanksgiving? Uh, Jess, you, you, uh, you. Um, I mean, you told us a bit about what you were not gonna do, actually. So why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, my mom canceled Thanksgiving today. 
It was no, yeah, the Thanksgiving yeah. Grinch. Rough, man. That's rough. That's, yeah. that's cold. She, she inter- that's cold huh? as shit is what that is. That's cold. I, You know, Thanksgiving was always kind of a weird holiday for us. Like, it was kind of a pro forma, a pro forma sort of deal where we, like, everyone hates the food. Um, so it was just kind of a, it, it a was, thing. It was like a, uh, like, we're going to try being an American. Yeah. That's because you're a bunch of West of Coasters. And- uh, Thanksgiving on the East Coast is a very lovely affair. The, it matches no, I, the mood I feel of like- Jess, I, I feel I like it's uh, like your family tried it. You did it like while you're grown up so that you could feel kind of normal. And then you're grown up now and they're like, fuck it. We don't need to do it anymore. Yeah, I mean, family's scattered now. So we don't have like, it's just pathetic to sit down to a turkey with like four people at the table too. Um, oh, that so- was basically well. my Thanksgiving for like 18 years. <laughs> Ex- except it was chicken and not, th- and not turkey. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> which is better i prefer chicken to turkey awful. turkey's actually not that good i don't know why turkey we eat it it's, it's not good <laughs> um and then like my mom and you know some of her girlfriends they found a crazy uh great flight deal to jet off to someplace warm uh but this year i had i had told them like you know what screw it we're having a proper thanksgiving i am taking care of the food because none of you can cook um so <laughs> i have so yeah, so I have like prime rib, like pies. I got like 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 good cheese and potatoes, uh, and I think I'll just send a picture to my mom saying like this is all the food that you left me with, and I'm gonna eat it all. I'm gonna get really fat. Mm. So just that's uh, what you for, did. First things first. What exactly is prime rib? Because it's like it's it's not quite a steak, right? And it's it's not like 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 pork ribs it's that roast, you get. It's roast you know, beef, at, dog. Like, it's roast beef. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But like. Mm. Have you guys ever ordered prime rib in a restaurant? I've yeah, man, Lowry's in Chicago. It's uh, legendary. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah, they get this guy yeah. that he, he looks, he he comes out in a fucking chef's hat and he's got a gold medal that says Master Carver and he rolls the entire roast to your table and he carves it in oh, front really? of you. I've, I've eaten them in like, uh, I guess, um, like, like free dinner types where you know it's like oh, a no. big buffet and I get it. No, but, no, no. Uh, I've never actually ordered it in a restaurant. Oh, if it's I, so it's, good. I, it's, if I'm it's getting meat, worth... I'll order a steak, or I'll, I'll be at like a barbecue place. I'm gonna get like pork ribs and just like make a mess of myself. But I don't know. Prime rib just seems to be in this weird in between zone. That no, no, no. Steak. Do you like tender <laughs> steak? meat? Do... Steak is in the in be- weird in between zone between prime rib and hamburgers. A steak yeah. is somewhere like halfway <laughs> oh, between oh, really? two of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once you get like, real I'll prime occasionally rib, occasionally like, oh. order. Like a ribeye, rare to kind of get close to the texture, but like it's prime oh, rib. No, I I don't like ribeye. It's too fatty. Um, I like it. Th- then you like, like prime meats. rib. It's a it's a texture thing. P- prime rib is high culture, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, I think it is an example of divergent evolution with uh, another great food, which is uh, toro sashimi. <laughs> <laughs> toro sashimi <laughs> and prime rib are enjoyed in almost identical ways. <laughs> They're like, yeah. oh, is it that I, yeah. soft? It's that soft. Uh, it's pink, and you dip it in a dark brown sauce, just like Toro. You know, just like Toro. You dip it in au jus. What? You dip it in au jus. It's like a, it's like a dark, salty beef broth. No, you don't. You yeah. just eat it raw. No, 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 no. I'm talking about. No, no, no. Prime no don't, rib, don't, man. don't eat prime rib raw. Don't eat prime rib no. raw. No, no, no. I mean the Toro. I'm not talking Why about are you Toro. Toro. I'm not talking about. Toro. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Toro, you dip in soy sauce. Prime rib, you dip in au jus. You understand? Yeah. And then. Then you dip the uh, then the toro has had some uh, um, wasabi uh, rubbed on it. The prime rib instead of wasabi, you use horseradish, and that's the same thing. And then you you eat it that way. It's awesome. 
So, so I, I was on the New, the New York Times uh, website today, and it, I mean, it's, it's like the Thanksgiving week, so uh, it, it's like it's like clockwork. Now come the because like Thanksgiving is like punishment day for for white liberals, especially those who aren't from like the coast areas. I think uh, so. It's always like so many articles about how to talk to your racist uncle, grandpa, aunt, whatever. On Thanksgiving, I, I saw two articles on the front page of the New York Times, one by Karen Tamarius, one by Richard Schiffman. And I also Googled it. Uh, there's one on Eater, you know, the, the, the food website by Amy McCarthy. And I, this is just something that's so foreign to me. Because as I said, Thanksgiving, especially in Canada, Canadian Thanksgiving is weird. It's like in October, I think before Halloween. It's like a celebration of the harvest. There's no pageantry or or like jingoism or or like wish fulfillment. Uh, fantasy about getting along with the people you genocided. So it's, as I said, it's it's just like our make it nuclear sound so family bad. getting together. <laughs> it's our nuclear family getting together and eating chicken and mashed potatoes. That's what our Thanksgiving <laughs> was. And um, but like, it, but it wasn't actually until I got to college, and then uh, my and then my college friends started inviting me to their Thanksgiving that I got to start to see this like white people. Um, like dread over this holiday because they have all these people they hate <laughs> come to their house and eat and they have to cook for these people and they gotta like sit down with them for hours with alcohol and somebody's gonna say something shitty whether it's about their family or their politics or whatever and I just find it very funny and I actually feel sympathy because I think this is as this is like white people's version of being Asian because like Asians understand what it's like to have parents that you cannot change and you hear like all uh, you hear a lot of these criticisms about these people, like oh, you should like talk to your parents, change them, you know, stop stop them from being Nazis or whatever. And and like I feel like we, uh, especially second generation uh, generation Asians, understand. No, you can't change. <laughs> it's like you gotta just <laughs> let it. You gotta live with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh. yeah, like uh, you know, when we were younger, we'd have family extended family and uh like family friends you know especially people who were just uh like here a lot of people were like traveling like friends of the family were traveling from asia or wherever and they were just kind of like mo- like stranded so we'd kind of adopt them and it's like like clockwork every year someone has to start talking shit about japanese people <laughs> oh from oh from your from your like enclave uh uh-huh. thanksgivings yeah, it's From like, so, so, somebody just gets a little bit too drunk and then starts talking shit about <laughs> the Japanese, and then someone has to just get in and start in on the Chinese, and then pretty soon we're just talk, talking mad shit you, you, on everybody. It's you know just, what's sick about the Chinese? As hilarious is, as it is, it's it's also kind of crazy with like thirty people in the house. The thing, the thing about They're the Chinese all unified over their like shared heritage of the Japanese. No, the the funny thing about the the Japanese thing is like Chinese families, like we did the same thing, of course. Um, but we knew that Koreans talk shit about us, but the fact that we knew Koreans <laughs> talk shit about Japanese was outweighed that. We were like, <laughs> like it's a, it, it is something that keeps Koreans and Chinese somehow, uh, somehow tethered in some weird small way. <laughs> is, yeah, I is remember that like history. my dad and his yeah. buddies were like drinking whiskey, you know, the, the men go outside. Uh, after the meal, and they're they're outside in the patio around the fire pit, like talking, like crazy, like they're t- they talking. Often they talk in English. And I think they chose English for a very specific reason. Like our Chinese neighbor was right there too. 
And they just started talking mad shit about Chinese right there in English. <laughs> and there was just this moment when, you know, the guy of the house on that side and his buddies just kind of looked over it, uh, through the fence at ours. And just there was just this moment of understanding. And then we all, like, agreed to look away. It was beautiful in a sense. Chi- Chinese just assume you're Chinese <laughs> un- unless un- until further notice is given. They do. They uh, do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wait, we uh, by the way for 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 Japanese listeners, uh, we joke about this because I think things are actually are getting better. I I I found I just I feel like lately in Asia that those old uh, historic but very deep uh, uh, resentments are actually starting to thaw a bit, which is nice to see. Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to talk about this on anything that's uh, going to be released publicly like ten years ago. <laughs> There's that. You know, if if I were to improve Thanksgiving dinner, I mean the actual meal, I would replace uh, the turkey with like fried chicken. Um, prime rib. Prime, no, it's a time for prime rib. Well, well, let, let's try to at least keep it in the same ballpark. Uh, that is also yeah, a prime rib time. Isn't that Christmas though? <laughs> and then uh, you know, yeah, the, Easter the is also. Is, there's no, there's never a bad time. The for stuffing is good. Time. I would keep that. Because you never eat stuffing on any other occasion. Yeah. So that's and don't good. stuff it. Don't um, stuff it in anything. Yeah, uh, mashed potatoes is okay, but I would replace that with waffle fries. Seasoned waffle fries. I would okay. replace You're that insane. With. You're insane. You've not had good mashed potatoes. <laughs> uh-huh. No, you know, you know what I really like are those... Uh, you know what I like are those uh, sweet... Uh, those, like, baked yams with marshmallow and, like, whiskey. Oh, oh wow. I, I hate sweet potatoes. I don't want my potatoes sweet. I I hate sweet potato fries. I hate yams. Well, yeah, I hate. Have yams. you tried it though? I like my that's potatoes. That's a strong. That's a strong position to take on yams. No, good. Yeah. Look, I, I remember look, I can in get college. Waffle cut fries anytime, are, but this like sweet yam with it, marshmallow it, it, business. I like how in this entire uh, no. pod, like that's the first time, like like the word hate comes out. <laughs> no, because I remember in college our dining hall was was pretty bad, which I took pride in because I thought. That meant our school had its priorities straight. Like, like our, the students don't need, uh, you know, f- fucking, uh, you know, grade A beef and, and fresh arugula. No, they need no, top quality like, education. Yeah, yeah. Just feed us gruel, you know, that's good. But the, the, the one thing you could always count on if everything else failed was decent fries. Because it's really hard to screw up fries. Except under those days, they had sweet potato fries. You couldn't even eat that. And you're just like, oh, fuck. And I don't know. You have to, like, eat a salad or yeah, something. Yeah, but that's totally not the same thing as what I'm talking about. No, 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 wait, no. Replace the pota- um, mashed potatoes with waffle fry poutine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess that poutine works. Poutine, poutine has gravy, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's the same yeah, thing. You, you, with, okay. uh, it's almost the same thing without uh, the American mashed potatoes. We never put cheese on it. But uh, uh, yeah, that, that's, yeah. Poutine that's is some uh, good what else? Shit, um, poutine is some good ass yeah. shit. I, I'm very pro poutine 364 days out of the year. But Thanksgiving belongs <laughs> to mashed potatoes. Yeah, uh, I was at green bean casserole. I don't know what the hell that is. It's just a bunch of like green That's beans. That's horrible. In a, in a, no. Yeah, I don't know. Why whatever. poutine like, isn't more widespread in America is weird. It must. I I don't know how that yeah, didn't get you, you viral would, here. You would think that Americans would love it. Yeah. It's cheese, it's fried so food, fucking good. and gravy. It's I see yeah. it even, in places. Even like terrible poutine is good. Yeah. But like, uh, I guess in SoCal, I don't. Um, uh, we have like uh, nacho fries. So it'd be like mm-hmm. cheese sauce with like a ver- like a meat carne asada or carnitas or, or chicken or something. <laughs> I, I with love like guacamole. I love that. I love good. that product name cheese sauce. 
Yeah. It's so, it's so like, evil sounding. You know, I love it. I, I like cheese, but there's a part of me that really just likes the stadium cheese that comes on the nacho. Um, what, what are some other staple sweet potato pie? I once had it a couple of years ago. Uh, it's okay, but I don't know. As I said, we do, I, a, we do a pecan pie. pie with our coffee after the, uh, di- after like the pe- we, like we do, we pie. do the full, like, do you like guys are dissecting pie. Thanksgiving as if it's just uh, some of the parts, man. Thanksgiving is a whole thing. It's a whole thing. <laughs> you know, dinner pe- Thanksgiving like- is kind of a, like, if you like it, bring it, right? It, the overabundance Thanks- of carbs Thanks- is what kind of makes Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is weird because it's the day that your mother starts cooking dinner in the morning. That's why it's a weird fucking day. See, th- see, Jess, that's the thing. Like the the thing I don't like about Thanksgiving dinner is is because it's so carbonated. You get full so fast. You just eat like a little bit of everything, and then you're just like a balloon. And he was like, you, oh, you gotta wh- go wh- slow. Gonna- you gotta go slow, man. Yeah. You know? yeah. 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 Thanksgiving is a great fucking holiday. I know it's not politically correct, and I don't care if in the future they don't celebrate it. But I like my Thanksgiving. Uh, favorite, my favorite. I mean, if you just think of it as as a as a day that you get together with your family yes. and, and eat food, yeah. regardless of historical context, then there's nothing wrong. If you with could it. get rid Pardon. of, if they could just decouple it from that by renaming the holiday and moving it to Friday. Yeah, just just get just get rid of the um, <laughs> I guess the uh, historical revisionism and the wishful thinking. Yeah, uh, admit yeah, guilt. Admit guilt. Change the name. <laughs> move it to Friday. Let's start over. We should still get yeah. a holiday. No, 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 no. Keep it on Thursday. We get the extra day off. Why do you right, want to move right. it to Friday? Friday. Nobody has Friday off. It, people take it off. Yeah, we don't I want a, Friday off. No, we should keep that on the low Oxford. Wait, don't wait, team, you don't get Friday, Friday off? off? Nobody you does. Take a Very few people do. That's I get, right. Nobody, I Oxford, that's right. Nobody gets Friday off. No, or very few people do. Very few people do. Um, I was going to say something else. I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, oh, I also read this article that like Thanksgiving, the, the actual like food on the plate is probably the least Instagrammable plate in existence because it's also yeah it all looks like vomit (laughs) (laughs) there's no way there's no way to get a good picture of thanksgiving (laughs) yeah and this was the thanksgiving when i was gonna make my stand as a full-grown adult and make great food i had such a great menu lineup you know i am suddenly peering into the heart of the alt-right i feel like an alt-writer like as you guys denigrate Wait, so? as you guys denigrate thanksgiving <laughs> the great white holiday tears are coming to my eyes you know you know what i do love sorry <laughs> awful like having waffle fries replace mashed potatoes i have this like bile what? bubble of patriotism well up <laughs> you know what i really do love is i love making sandwiches out of the leftovers yes yes but doesn't Thanksgiving mean we have to watch the fucking Detroit Lions play? No, don't watch. Don't watch football, man. Yeah, I was going to ask cut, you guys watch. Don't try to cut just football f- out of your lives, man. That shit is just... Yo, 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 Alex like, Smith is just except, like... Except, that, oh. except so, so, if you had watched Monday Night Football, man, that was a pretty good game. Well, see, see, yeah, I heard yeah, about that. I was that. about to bring that up. You saw all these people saying, this is the future of football. But you, you can you can tell they're clinging to scraps. They're like, oh, thank God this this happened. It's the future. Uh, no. You know what? I, I, I guarantee you next week... Patrick Mahomes is gonna break his leg. Oh, dude, you don't say that, first. man. <laughs> dude. I don't want to say it, but you know it's gonna. Was happen. the game really that good, or That's... was it just bad defense? No, no, no. It was a really good game. No, it, it was that good. They, were these like are like the two best offenses, or... like in the history of the game, really going at each other. Yeah, points were. Um, there were two defensive on, touchdowns. You know it's gonna happen. Look, there are Deshaun, awesome football Deshaun games. Deshaun Watson happened to last year. There are awesome football games. I will admit, like the one that the the uh, the Stephon Diggs miracle touchdown in the playoffs last year. 
Do you remember that? We saw it. Um, I mean, you, Mark, me. Who, el- who else was there? Uh, was uh, Philip there? I think Philip might have been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Philip was we, there. We were at that dessert place in, in uh, St. Mark's Place. And we, saw it. we couldn't believe it. We were like, yeah, we what is exploded. that moron doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, there could be great football games, but the sport is just fucked, man. It's so fucked up. I don't know. Stu- stupid fucking game. Yeah, no. stupid fucking game. Right. <laughs> um, I should right, probably okay. get uh, going. We are, yeah, we are, we are, we are uh, almost at an hour and a half. So, yeah, yeah, good pod, guys. Uh, thanks for joining me, um, Jess, Teen, and Jong. Uh, hope you guys have a good night. And uh, thank you for listening. Join us next week for another episode of Escape from Plan A. Thanks. Hi, and thanks for listening to Escape from Plan A. If you like us, please go on iTunes, give us five stars, leave a comment, go on SoundCloud, follow us, go spread the good word about how great we are. And if you like our articles, um, go on. Pl- uh, I mean, go on Plan A, read our articles. They're all great, so you're gonna love us. And yeah, tune in next week, and you'll catch more of us. So until then, goodbye, all. <laughs>